God promises that wolves will arise in the church. But are there techniques that they use that we should be on the lookout for? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. Recently, Amazon released a docuseries called Shiny Happy People. And it's about the Duggar family of, of TV fame. It also talks about Bill Gothard of Institutes of Basic Life Principles. And we don't really want to talk about and focus on him tonight, but it is interesting and important for us to understand what it looks like when a wolf comes into a church, because I do think this applies to Bill Gothard in certain ways. We're certainly not being exclusive towards him. Instead, we should ask the question, so, so how do you detect wolves in the church? There's no easy answer to that question, because if you look at everything the Bible has to say about wolves, among the things that the wolves do is they try and deceive. And so so just recognize that that's the nature of the adversary is, by definition, it's out there to deceive you. So you can't say that a wolf is going to be like some cartoon version of what you think a wolf is, that it's going to be really obvious, oh, that guy's out to get me. Or that it's like the cartoon version of a wolf dressed up in grandmother's clothes waiting to eat Little Red Riding Hood, where we all know, oh, I wouldn't fall for that. No, the whole point of all of the warnings and scriptures are that you are going to be, you are susceptible to falling to these wolves, therefore be on guard. So there's no easy answer to say, oh, let's just identify them this way. Right, which, you know, the the classic example of that is, you know, when Paul's speaking to the Ephesian elders and he says, out of your own salesmen will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Well, that's the group of people right there. And he's not saying, you and you, get rid of them because they're the wolves. I mean, it seems like he doesn't even know. He's not pointing out the people. He's saying, but from this group of people, perhaps that he himself had chosen, wolves were going to come from them. And there's none of them that are sitting there mustache twirling that you can say, oh, yeah, there's a wolf that's out to fleece the flock. And I do think that what Paul says there in Acts 20 is really important, right, is that they're drawing disciples after themselves. And so in all the things that they're doing, eventually it becomes more manifest because their goal is to draw disciples after themselves. And at some point, they have to be separating that from leading them towards God. Right, because Paul says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." I mean, he's saying, "Follow me," but he's not saying that he's trying to get people to follow after him. So it has to be that they're creating a difference between following God and following the wolf. So eventually, the wolf has to do that if he wants to be a successful wolf. And so the progress or the progression is they start by frequently by saying sound things, but then they move to the point where there's a point where you can see them easier and easier because even though they're still trying to deceive, in the end, they're trying to say, don't follow God, follow me. And a lot of times the, the conditions around them really drive how much freedom they have to be saying things that are obviously perverse. I mean, there's, but I mean, like you said, there's a part of it where there's deception because you could go, people could say, well, the wolf doesn't really care about the flock. Well, the wolf actually does have a great – he cares a lot about the flock. He wants nice, fat sheep to eat every once in a while. I mean, he he wants the flock to be healthy in a sense, in a way. And so, yeah, the flock the, – the wolf has a real interest and in care for the flock. It's just a very different focus 
an interest than the actual shepherd or the under-shepherd that God appoints and that actually cares about the flock that Jesus Christ has appointed him to watch over. And so with all of these things, you have to look at them and go, the, like you said, the wolf is going to pretend like he cares about things, but he's going to do a lot of things that look like the things that other people do. And he's even going to do them with a, there's an actual aspect of sincerity in it in the sense that he really does want the flock to stay healthy in a certain way. And so, I mean, you just, you really have to be aware of these things. You have to be on guard. I mean, this is one of the things that Christ tells you is to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And I think there is this part of it where when it comes to wolves, there's a reason for it is because you can't just act like no one would ever want to eat a sheep. No one would ever want to come in and and eat all the sheep. You have to go in with that mindset. There will be people that want to do this. Right. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus Christ says this. You know, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The difference between a wolf and a shepherd is that the the shepherd wants people to follow him to go closer to God. In the, re, the what a wolf wants is people to follow them, to deceive them so that they will follow after them. And so there is that point where the path can look so close, but there is a point where they start to diverge. Because in the end, if they actually led the person towards God, they failed to consume the to consume the sheep. And you know, when we talk about this, it's easy to think of the obvious wolves that are out there. That, to in a sense, we think they're obvious. We think it's easy to see the Joel Osteens of the world. I mean, we'd we would all this day will say, yeah, he's a wolf. He's clearly using the flock of 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 Christ to or using the name of Christ to to gather all these people to follow him, not to follow Christ, obviously using it to enrich himself, you know. And and then you take all the other celebrity pastors, many of the recent scandals that have happened. You can deconstruct those after the fact and say, oh, yeah, look at how that guy was a wolf. He obviously just uses position in the church to get close to vulnerable women, take advantage of them. Bible talks about that. That kind of person's a wolf. Now we can see that after the fact. But the point of having this kind of conversation is to say, hey, this could happen to you. You don't have to just look at those those human cartoons and say, ah, you know, I can see what a wolf's like over there, but it could never happen to me. Or, or even that if you're a pastor or you're a leader in a church to say, oh, there's no way I could ever be a wolf. There's no way I could ever be tempted to do these kinds of things to – to draw people after me, to try and gratify my own lusts, to try and just feed myself off of the people of God. I mean, and I think it's it's worth going back because in Second Peter, Peter goes back and he says, look at what it was like before and don't think it's different now. And so like in 1 Kings 22, 5 through 8, it says, also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. And so at this time in the history of Israel, I mean, they're looking at what the prophets are. 
and it's a ratio of 400 to 1. And so I think often we think, oh, yeah, there wolves can arise in the church. But we shouldn't expect that many. Yeah, wolves arise in the church, but most most pastors are good, honest men that are out there not for themselves. They're out there to bring people to God. But the ratio that God gives is not like that. And it's odd because he uses 400 a lot. Like there were 450 prophets of Baal compared to Elijah. I mean, it's not like this is like a one-time example either. And so we should really expect there to be a lot of wolves, not just a few wolves. If you have a flock of sheep, remember David when he's fleeing from Saul and he protects Nabal's sheep. I mean, it's like there's a lot of wolves that he's protecting it from. It's not like, oh, yeah, there's only one wolf that comes and attack. And that's the picture that we don't really have anymore that they would have had when they heard about wolves attacking a flock. They would have recognized this is like an ongoing thing, so much so that David's really offended that that he won't give them any any food because obviously they did a lot of work by killing all these wolves. And so I think we need to start out by if you want to detect wolves, the first thing you have to do is reset your expectations. If you're listening to this podcast, it would be useful if you put yourself in the position of the king who's talking to Joe's fat. Put yourself in his position and say, hey, are there, you know, get the prophets. Is there anybody out there who will tell me the truth? And realize that your temptations are to listen to all the ones who want to tell you what you want to hear and that you might be saying, oh, yeah, well, there is one guy, but I hate him. Right, because yeah, the and, fact that, you know, he had a lot of false prophets around him was also his choice. Because you also have, like, where Elijah is saying, you know, there's no one else. And they're saying, well, there's... What four hundred seven thousand who have not bowed the yeah, knee to Baal? Yeah, seven thousand who have not bowed the knee to Baal, and those guys weren't in the court of the king because the king didn't want them there. Right, but those, by the way, those weren't all prophets. So just those were just people that were righteous before God, as opposed to the prophets were separate. But, but still, your point is is still well taken. You have you have Ahab who's talking to Jehoshaphat, the king of of or the king of Judah, and Ahab wants all the false prophets. And the king of Judah goes, isn't there one that's actually telling the truth? So you even see the picture here that that it's discernible, right? It's not that you can't see it. I mean, he goes and hears all these 400 prophets and goes, well, all these guys are liars. Where's a real prophet? And, and it's not hard to find false, to find wolves, false prophets. I mean, I mean, any you know, woman pastor, I mean, as someone who's just rejecting God's word completely – Someone who has a responsibility, who's saying, I am a preacher of God's word, and then just completely rejecting it. So, you know, there, there, I mean, there's thousands right there. Um, but, so, but, I mean, where it gets harder is when it's someone who's in what's supposed to be a good, solid, Bible-believing church. Because there's vast numbers of them that, you know, are easy to identify. Right. There's the Joel Osteen that goes, it's about your best life now. It's not about God. Clearly, he's a false prophet. That's not even, you know, there's the ones that... Anybody who's a Christian should be able to immediately see. And then there's the ones that are a lot harder to see because they're trying to lead away the flock of God rather than leading away a flock of goats, basically. But I think core to what you're saying is, is in the research your expectations is, I mean, there's a couple things. Is one is wolves are not uncommon. I mean, and there's another way I was thinking about when you said it is, you know, one sheep can feed more than one wolf. I mean, and so what I mean is, is when you think about, there's a part of it when you think about prevalence. I mean, there's a real, I mean, there are people who they've just gone from wolf to wolf to wolf over their life. You know what I mean? And so I'm just saying we should understand that a, a sh- 
feasting on the flock of God is a desirable thing. Feasting on the people of God is something that is is a thing that wolves want to do. And so, I mean, you shouldn't sit there and go, this isn't even something that they would desire. There's a lot of wolves because the people of God are a desirable thing to go after. And you just we just need to have that. I mean, like and, you said, and changing the way you think about it. And I mean, even when you think about it, right? I mean, there are the wolves that they don't really want to go after the flock of God. They just want a group of people to follow them. Yep. But then there's other wolves that they actually want to mislead the people of God. And they're actually much more demonic than the ones that are just going, we want a group of people to follow. Because is Joel Osteen really that different than Donald Trump? They just want a group of people to follow them. I mean, right. that's they don't. He doesn't really care if these people are Christians. I mean, Joel Osteen. He doesn't care if they read the Bible. He does. He just wants them to listen to him and hang on every word. And so, yes, he's doing it in a Christian context, quote unquote Christian context, saying that he's he's doing it as a servant of God. But in the end, he's you know people that listen to Joel Osteen, they obviously don't have much scriptural understanding, as opposed to. The ones that are really dangerous are the ones that actually want to lead astray those that are the actual people of God, which is like what Paul was talking to the the elders of Ephesus in in Acts 20. He's talking to the real church at Ephesus, and he's going, people rise up from among you and, you know, like kind of like what you were saying, that's the choicer feeding of the wolf. Right. But there's fewer, so... Right. Yeah, there's it's a trade off. You know, if you want a stadium with 25,000 people, that's not the kind of wolf that you typically are. Peter in 2 Peter talks about, you know, that we're supposed to look at those old passage Old Testament passages like 1 Kings 22 and go, "Hey, this this applies to us." And that's what he says in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. And so, you know, God's being very explicit through Peter. That's what it looked like. You can go back to those Old Testament passages, and that's what it looked like. Don't think it's different now. Only now they are doing different things, you know, in ways. They're going to twist Scripture. They're going to, they're going to you know, bring in destructive heresies. They're attacking the church differently than they did when you have Ahab going, give me a prophet that will prophesy that I'm going to win this battle. And because the target was different. And so as we think of what these prophets look like, this is, you know, they're false teachers now. They're teaching things that are, that are destructive heresies. They're t- twisting the word of God. And so we need to be really, really recognize our own responsibility to make thing, sure the things that are said line up with Scripture, and you cannot delegate that to the pastor. Because if you delegate that to the pastor, then you're following the pastor instead of following the words of God. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen to your pastor. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a responsibility to expose the scripture. It, all those things are true. But at the same time, the person in the congregation, the reason that you get misled by a wolf is because you can't recognize that he's twisting scripture. I mean, specifically, you should look at, at Peter's warning. He says they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And the emphasis on the secretly. I mean, we talked about deception is a key thing here. And there's a part of it where... 
there are people who, when they when they teach in public, they say one thing. They talk in private and other times, and they'll say different things. And they and they won't openly address the things that they say in private. People will say, "Well, he told me this." Someone else will say, "He told me that," and they won't speak clearly. They won't they won't put themselves in a position where they can actually be rebuked, where they can actually be corrected. I mean, and there are people who you can see who have a pattern of doing this. They have a pattern of speaking in these ways. But you should expect them to lie. You should expect that, you know, you should expect when you say to them directly, did you say this, that they're going to, no, of course not. Of course I wouldn't say that. They're, he must have misheard me. He right. must have misunderstood. And I mean, you should just, I mean, this is part of it where Christians can be incredibly naive. I'm sure this person is a man of God. Why? Paul wasn't. You know what I mean? He wasn't a man of God. <laughs> Paul, Paul wasn't sure that the people he was standing in front of were men of God. He was saying, some of you won't. You know what I mean? And so if Paul's looking at them and going, I can't look at you and I can't tell right off. I can't look at you and discern immediately. I can't just look and say, this is how you had to, you, you check the little secret mark on the inside of their arm. You know what I mean? There's no, then I mean, why are you convinced this person is a man of God? Why are you absolutely sure? And it doesn't mean you can't start to follow after someone. It means you have to be vigilant. And I, you look at the Old Testament, you know, there you have a few examples of prophets who were, you know, truly speaking the inspired words of God, and yet they were not safe people. They were wicked people. So, you know, even if we're going to say, well, someone, if someone gives a really, you know, hard-hitting biblical sermon, well, they must be, a, well, that's, that's not the standard of prophets. I mean, that's the, you know, Beth Balaam. You know, he's not a great guy, but he, God did speak through him. And it's really interesting. I mean, Balaam's a great example because he's an example of what you just said. Because when he's publicly doing it, he's he's cursing them for wanting to destroy Israel, and he keeps blessing Israel, even though, you know, even though he was paid to curse Israel. But then afterwards, he goes aside in private and says, "Hey, just send your women in. Right, you'll be able to defeat them." I mean, that is what a wolf still looks like. Right, I mean it that is, is the picture. And, and, it is and, that publicly they can look. I mean, he was speaking the words of God publicly. Everything he said was correct publicly, but he still had a different agenda. And that ties into the second part of his warning. He says they will bring in destructive heresies, even up to denying the Lord who brought bought them. Not all their heresies will be denying the Lord who bought them. In other words, the I mean, and you look at like the parable of the sower. The people who fall away. Many of the people who fall away. It's not that they deny the Lord who bought them in the sense of just openly deny him. It's that they get pulled away by the cares of the world. Destructive heresies, there's this part of it where you can't go, well, the destructive heresy would be, he says, Jesus isn't God. Or he says that, you know, I shouldn't follow after God. No, it can be love the world more than you should. It can be tolerate this sin in a certain way. Tolerate this sexual sin. Tolerate this view of the Tolerate this. Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. Right. I mean, it can, I mean, in the end, the destructive heresies, they don't have to go up to that level of denying your Lord. They can be small things. And like with Balaam, just send in the women. And this will destroy them. That will be enough. You don't have to have me. You thought you had to have me go in there and curse them. You idiots. All you have to do is send in the women and they'll fall. And they'll curse themselves. <laughs> right. Don't think that the heresy is going to look like you're expecting it to look. It's, in fact, you should expect it to appeal to you. 
if it's going to, you know, I mean, I remember the years ago when we talked about temptation, someone says, if you're going to be tempted with something, you have to have an interest. You know, I hated broccoli at the time. And the guy looked at me and he goes, can I tempt you with a plate of broccoli? And I'm like, no, you can't. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, it's like, that's really good. I mean, in the end, I mean, if it's going to be a heresy that's going to lure you away, it's got to be something that has your interest. It's got to be something that is appealing to you. You should expect it to be appealing. And just like, right, and many will follow their destructive ways. I mean, Peter's point is they're trying to get people to follow them. They, you know, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. They desire you. They desire your money. They desire your your applause. They desire your whatever it is. And they are really coveting. And so they're looking at you going, how can I appeal to you? So we should expect them to appeal to you because they're, they're trying to get you to follow them. And now some of them are very smart and they know that the way people will follow them is by abusing them, right? Because you have men that know that if they beat a woman, that the woman will then keep chasing after them. And there's pastors that are wolves that do exactly the same thing. I've watched this happen where they're intentionally rude to people because they know that the response to that will be, well, I, I want to get closer to him. He's not being nice to me. I, you know, and it's, it's a very common technique that wolves use because what they're doing is they're using whatever they can to get people to follow after them. And sometimes that's being rude. Sometimes that's being very sweet words and flattery and you know, different techniques They'll for different very people. Very different people, yes, very differently. You can be in a church where – there are people who are being treated incredibly rudely by the pastor, and you would have no awareness because he's always been incredibly kind to you. You, I mean, and, and if you don't actually look for it, if you don't actually, and I don't mean look for the pastor sinning, like be suspicious of your pastor sinning to an incredible degree, but you should look. Does he treat everyone the same? Does he treat other people the same? And because there are churches where, I mean, people come in, and if the pastor treats them badly, everybody treats them badly. If you've ever been church hunting, there are times where you say the wrong thing and all of a sudden everyone in the church kind of turns against you. Is that the church you're in? Are you one of the people? Have you learned that whenever he goes, oh, you know, they kind of, mm, that you go, oh, well, mm. and that's how you, and, I'm, and they, you know, they know how to send out signals. They know how to manipulate people. And you really have to be looking for that. At, at, I mean, I've, I've seen it firsthand. There's other cases where, what you have talked about, about how they they act, sometimes you just have to stretch that out over time. Sometimes that wolf is playing the long game. They come in as... They almost, I mean, when you think of the picture, right, it's that they're shepherding these sheep so that they can consume them, right? Ezekiel 34, they eat the fat, they eat the meat. And so the way that you have fat sheep is you first have to fatten them. And so they're not like wolves in the sense of, of the animals that are usually half starved out in the, the wilderness. They're, you know, they're smarter than that. They're human wolves. And so they build up the flock, which is kind of your point. Yeah. Day one out of seminary, you're not necessarily expecting that guy to have all of these destructive heresies, at least evident. Right. You know, maybe in private. But sometimes, you know, that wolf is biding his time as the associate pastor until he gets that promotion up and all of a sudden now there's power behind him and, hey, he can act differently in this circumstances or, or he's got a certain contingent. You know, he's been building up those people to follow behind him and that changes his behavior as a wolf. That emboldens him in certain ways. And and you see times where, where wolves that I know of where they made – it was very obvious even at the time 
It was obvious that they were making decisions that they're going, well, I've got this flock and I'll lose this third. But if I keep this two thirds, that I'll actually have more in five years than I have now. So I'll make this shift because I'll get them to follow me. That that will consolidate my power over them. So they're, you know, and they're they're making those thought. I mean, they're having those thoughts and they're making those considerations of of how do you plot this out? They're just so like politicians the changing positions, changing parties, or I mean, even just smaller shifts within what they hold to be true. I mean, a, a wolf can recognize somebody who could be a threat to them, somebody that's not going to fall to, for their destructive heresies. And they may not try and deceive that person. They may try and get rid of them. Right. And and that's a form of, it's not quite a form of consuming the way we've talked about it, but it is a form of a way that the wolf is trying to harm the flock. And they're really trying to get part of the flock to follow after them more closely. Right. And so what they're trying to do is create this division so that part of the flock will really follow them, will follow them places where the whole flock wouldn't go. In a real church, what you should be looking towards is not people that come in and teach false doctrine. They come in and teach true doctrine, and then they start to add things to it because they try to get a group of people that are following after them. Like, you know, I started the introduction with Bill Gothard. I mean, Bill Gothard had a lot of truths in it, and it didn't start out by saying everything that was false. But then he starts to keep adding more and more of his own opinion and less and less Bible to the point where he's misleading people and people are following him and no longer the word of God. And so you can have somebody that starts out, and I can think of other examples. I can think of Doug Phillips. He did the same thing where a lot of things that he was teaching at the beginning, they were good things. They were sound doctrines. They were important doctrines. And so a lot of times what they do to build a flock is they'll say things that nobody else is willing to say that are biblical truths because that starts to get people to follow them. And then as they go on, they start to add their own opinion to try to get people to follow them. And they stop, and it stops being about the biblical truths that they attracted people with. But and maybe they won't keep everybody, but they'll keep a big enough portion that that's what they'll be able to feed on. What happens is that they were using the good doctrines that nobody else was willing to say in order to get people to follow them. And once people started following them, and not good doctrine, really, they're right. following them as a personality. Well, then that opens up the the possibilities of following them for. Right. Hey, and, what does and what, Doug Phillips think about that? I, you know, I should, I, I've got this question I should ask Doug Phillips. Instead of saying what early Doug Phillips would have said was, go look at Scripture. Right. And so they cast a wide net, and they get a bunch of people that are following the doctrine. And then they create this division where they start to separate to see who will continue to follow them and who will go, wait a second, what you're talking about now isn't biblical anymore. You've, you've left it. And so in... You know, I've watched this happen a few times where you see the person do exactly that. And all of a sudden he's adding more and more error to what he says because he kind of has to, because he has to create that division. Otherwise, they're not following him. They're still following the word of God. And so it's kind of like, you know, you, you throw the fishing net out and then you sort. And I think that's a very common technique for, for wolves. I mean, there's this uh, kind of this classic logic example of, of something like this where it's a, a, a particular kind of investment con where you send out a, f- a hundred flyers and 50 flyers say that the stock is going to fall and 50 flyers say the stock's going to to drop to, to, to rise the other thing and then you know something happens with the stock well 
50 of those people you stop sending flyers to. Now you have a smaller group. You've got 50 people, and you send another 50 flyers saying doing exactly the same thing. Half of them say the stock's going to rise. Half of them say the stock's going to fall. And after several iterations of that, you've got some people that you have milked along, and they look at your predictions, and they're like, hey, this person really knows the stock market. And then you can, you can then say, all right, now are you ready to invest heavy? The person who's sending out those flyers, they don't really care about what the truth is. They right. care about saying right. whatever it is that they can get people to follow them. And, and, and they are perfectly happy with the sorting to happen along the way, as long as at the end exactly. of each sort, there's still people that are following them. So that because they, they have a goal in mind that's based on covetousness. And, and I think, you know, some people might be wondering, well, are you really saying that all the wolves are that Machiavellian? You know, if if my pastor seems <laughs> to have good, you know, reasons for what he's doing, you know, he must not be that. And I think the answer is sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're just acting off of instinct and their instinct leads them in the same direction. When they're governed by their own lust, their own, you know, desires, you know, their own, in their in a twisted way, what they think is right. You know, some people are more on that side and not plotting stuff out, you know, in a very, you know, cold-hearted way. Some people are, some people aren't. And I do think that part of the reason that you look at somebody like Bill Gothard or somebody like Doug Phillips, you look at Mark Driscoll, you look at some of these guys, and you look at their techniques because these are like some of the best people at it. These aren't the worst people at it. But you're right. There's people that are in your local church that aren't nearly as good at it as a Mark Driscoll is or a Doug Phillips or a Bill Gothard. And but they're just more ham-handed at the same techniques because they are trying to do the same techniques. They're trying to get people that will follow after them. And so, yeah, there's definitely, you know, you go Machiavellian. Well, the ones that are Machiavellian, they they get thousands of people following them. The ones that aren't get 20 people following them. But there's a lot of people that are very satisfied with 20 people or, following them. Or or even less. You could right. You could have somebody who just cares about – being a youth pastor so he can be close to pretty girls. And all he really needs is one at a time. You right. know, it doesn't have to be a lot. And, and Or some of them just, like you said, are just not good at it. Right. And I do think I think that's a really important point to make about the, the pretty girls. I mean, you look at what's going on with the SBC and all the the sexual cases. There are a lot of of, of false teachers that the whole point of their false teaching is – to have sexual liaison. And so, you know, they aren't looking for a hundred people. They're looking for one. And so it, you have to be really careful to watch, right? Because they are looking for one and that's what they're coveting. And so there's people that are coveting the applause of thousands. And then there's a lot that are just really a, the sexual favors of one is sufficient. And you hear about that enough in the church. that so it would be very naive to think that there aren't wolves that, that that satisfies their lust. The ones that are skilled, I mean, they they actually do shepherd, right? Because they're actually trying to build up the flock. They're trying to help the flock. They're strengthening the flock for their own purposes rather than, right, they've got the wrong goal. The goal is to get people to follow them rather than following God. But in doing that, they can be very helpful to people, which, I mean, I've seen other men that, you know, that watching them, you see, wow, this person really helped people. And it makes it really hard for people to break from them when they display themselves as a wolf. 
And I mean, I remember a conversation I had with a man where I'm like, look, he did this and this and this. There's no question he's not a Christian. There's no question he's a wolf. But yet he but he helped my marriage so much. And we need to be willing to recognize that somebody will use those techniques to build up the flock that are biblical techniques that are truths, biblical truths that are useful but still, his goal is different. His goal is to get people to follow after himself. I, I would, I would like to say it a different way. We need to be willing to recognize that God would allow those kinds of people to be useful for Him for a time. That God would allow a wolf to be useful. That God would allow a wolf to speak the truth, and people to actually hear and be changed and be drawn closer to God, even as the wolf is not intending that, even as they're trying to draw them away. And even and the point is, is in that moment, whenever you're confronted with it, your gratefulness for the things that he helped you with should be to God. Right. You should because be grateful if the, to God. they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, if the pastor is actually trying to do the work of being a pastor, he should be bringing glory to God. And so the answer should be, well, praise God that he helped me. Right. And the fact that that person used God's word to help you, the the credit should go to God's word, not the person. I mean, if Paul had if Paul had spared rebuking Peter for the good that Peter had done for the church, when Peter's with the Judaizers, it it would have been bad for the church. It would have been bad for Peter. You know what I mean? In the end, I mean, if you see that sin, it doesn't always mean that you know, like you said, it couldn't. It's not always as bad as where you know he's a wolf, but it could be. My pastor's in sin, and he needs to be rebuked, and he needs to be confronted in his sin. And if he's confronted in his sin and he's with God, he will repent of his sin, and God will bring him back, and this will be good for my pastor. And if that's not the view, and if the attitude, and all of a sudden you realize the attitude around you has been carefully cultivated, that anyone who rebukes your pastor is going to be kicked out of the church. All of a sudden, you know, you're like the person who's, you know, you've, you're in the pitcher plant. You've, it was really smooth on the way down, and now you're realizing, oh, it's hard to get out of here because you've been around a wolf. Part of the thing that's important to recognize there, which is why we kind of started with, you need to recognize how widespread false teachers are, is you, the reason that most people, when their pastor does that and has an error, they go, it's not that big of a deal, is because they've started with the idea that he can't be a false teacher. And so it's it's really important to recognize there's a bunch of them out there. He could be a false teacher, even if he was a blessing to you. And so love him enough to confront him in his sin, because if he won't repent, if he won't turn from his sin, he should know that so that he knows that he's not willing to, to submit to God, that he's not willing to submit to the word of God, because there are false teachers. And that man that you admire and that man that's been helpful for you for 20 years he might still be a false teacher. Paul goes after writing all that he did. He goes, you know, I preach the gospel to so many, but I need to make my calling an election sure. I need to make sure I don't fall short of the gospel that I've been preaching. And so that pastor that's in your church, I'm not saying that he's a false teacher, but I'm saying give him, give room in your mind for that possibility so that when you see sin, you deal with it. If you don't think he could be a false teacher, then when you see sin, the temptation is not to deal with it. I think it's become normal. To expect pastors to not allow themselves to be corrected. To the point where that's the attitude of a congregation, that, oh, you don't rebuke the pastor. Right. And so I think, I mean, so there's a part of it where, I mean, the number of wolves in America, I mean, and understand, the people you know about are ones who've been lifted up into visibility, or the ones where you visited. There are still, like, you know, God says, I still have my people in many places. But I'm just saying, the commonness of wolves is probably actually really high. Because the ad, because we've just forgotten that a 
Christian is teachable. One of the fundamental defining qualities of having the Holy Spirit in you is that you can be corrected. And it doesn't have to be by someone who is of your spiritual caliber or higher or standing in the world. It is that you are humble. And I would actually, instead of being corrected, I think the right thing is to say in a slightly different way is that you can hear the word of God. I totally disagree. Oh, no. I appreciate the correction. (laughs) Because, I mean, people can correct people all the time. The question is, will they hear the word of God? Because I've been corrected by a lot of people that I go, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Correctly corrected, yes. Right. And I'm just saying that, that when you look at what sanctifies, the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And so if they're a Christian, those things will sanctify them. And so you should expect if they're confronted in the word of God that that they will hear right. as opposed to it can't just be you going, you're wrong in doing this. It needs to be the word of God. Right. Right. You don't have to apologize just because someone tells you you're wrong. You don't have to agree with them just because they tell you you're wrong. That's not the mark of a Christian. Right. And, and, but the mark of a Christian is they can hear the word of God. But yes. but given how we've gotten to here, you realize there's there's a high cost to making that kind of a mental shift. Because if you have been basing your standard of of salvation on what you've on the on the measure of your pastor, then all of a sudden, if that pastor could be not saved, or if that pastor could be an error, then what about me? Is the 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 new framework that you have to deal with when you're measuring yourself by scripture instead of measuring yourself by the people around you? which is kind of what we've been saying. You're measuring yourself by the people who are around you. And that question is key. I mean, I, mean, I, I mean, I remember going through a church split where that was the terror. There were people who went, but if he's not saved, and I understand they there also— There were many people who explicitly said that to Right, me. I know. If I mean, he's not saved, how can anybody be saved? right. And, and and again, it also demonstrates a false view of the gospel that's been going on because right. his, I mean, it, that's not the basis of salvation fundamentally either. And it, so, it's a testimony of workspace, of believing right. in workspace righteousness. As you go, oh, he's got a national ministry, he's got this, he's got that, he must be saved. And Paul goes, you've all heard me. I need to make sure that I'm saved. And that's just so contrary to the view out there. And, and and Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So how much more can someone disguise himself as a fallible pastor? And so, I mean, I've said this a couple of times, but at, at some point in time, they need to start adding their own opinions. Because if they don't add their own opinions in the end, you're following after God and not following after them. So there's ways, whether they do it individually, whether they do it collectively, but there's ways where they have to start to divert if they're going to be a wolf because they have to get people to follow after themselves. So one of the ways to detect a wolf is, will they persuade using the word of God? Second Timothy two twenty four through 26, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And so there's just this this idea of somebody who's saying, well, that's what I believe. How dare you question me? That is showing they're not a servant of God. The servant of God has to be willing to humbly go. And when the person says you're wrong, go, well, let's, talk, let's go to Scripture. Let's figure out what it actually says. 
and sometimes it doesn't need to be that humble that you do it. Meaning I've like in Nigeria, I've had the same question asked to me about tongues a thousand times. So I just go, just read the Bible. The answer's clear. You don't need a whole long explanation. Just read the words. Can women be pastors? It says stay silent in church. But the point is, are they doing it just saying, how dare you question my opinion? Are they doing it saying, here's what the word of God says. Let's walk through it. Why do you hold this view? Because it doesn't work right. It doesn't match what God says. And when they make that divergence, in the end, what they have to do is go, just just listen to my opinions. Why are you questioning me? Because otherwise, how do they get the the sheep to follow them rather than following God? And, and again, I think it's, it's the really common thing is when we imagine this in our mind, it's a it's like they come to you, you think they're going to come to you and go, hey, I want you to hear my opinion and not God's work. And 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 it's I mean you know what I mean and it's and just like with the with the wolf one of the things we said is is the wolf does a lot of the things that the the shepherd does but he does it with the wrong emphasis and he's going to do the same thing with God's word it's like having a family having children having children's a good thing but if you're going to be proud about having a big family and I mean I can I mean this is something I can definitely recognize and I've seen myself be manipulated in this I've seen myself be lured in with this is. You can have the person that the glory you get from having a big family, that should be your focus. And it doesn't and it doesn't just go, hey, the glory you have from having a big family, that should be your focus. It's just he just shines a spotlight on you every once in a while. He gives you a chance to, to preen under under the uh, you know, uh, see other people. Look at this person, look at his family, his beautiful family, and he's sitting here and he's doing the work of God, and we just really appreciate that. That's just such a good and all of a sudden, instead of going, I have God has called us to do this. This is the work that God's called you to do. You do the He lures you to do the same thing He's done, and you just shift the focus a little bit over. You still He's still encouraging you to do things that fall under the auspices of good things, but He's encouraging you to satisfy your own desires. He's encouraging you to please yourself, and so. This, I mean, the mouth of the tongue is a sepulcher. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just think how... the mouth of a flatterer is a sepulcher. Right, and and it doesn't feel like it when they're talking to you. Yeah, because a lot of times you want to go. Yeah, my my family is pretty good. Look at them. Because all he's, nice he's and... pick, if he has any skill at all, he's thought of things to say that would please you. He's giving you ideas that you want to turn over in your head. The father is the priest of the family. No, he's not. Father's not the priest of the family. I mean, you have roles that are like that, but that's not. And then all of a sudden, now you're handing out communion at church. You know what I mean? And you're, I mean, and the shift you've just you've just shifted a little bit. You've just moved, and you're listening to him. And now you're not listening to God's word because those things they they're close enough. It's not bad. How is it bad? I'm because it's not God's word. It's not what God said, and that's all it takes. And and it's worth pointing out one of the techniques that you're really emphasizing is the flattery. If you're being flattered, your antenna should shoot up, and you should say, well, am I a sheep that's being eaten by a wolf right now? Because it does not feel like that, and you don't want it to be true because it feels really good to be flattered, but look out. And the worst kind of flattery is where you think he's right. <laughs> Right. And that's the flattery that they attack you on. Right. Right. I mean, that's where people flatter you is where you go, oh, wow, Charles, look at your family. They're so well behaved. And you want to go, I've been working on their behavior for the last six months and he's recognizing it. Isn't that wonderful? Right. And and that's where flatterers go. They don't necessarily even lie. Sometimes what they do is they put emphasis where emphasis shouldn't be. 
I mean, and, and Flattery's really, I mean, just, I mean, I, I want to say this. I mean, I've, I think I've said this to my church, and I think the church has actually heard it. I can only think of a handful of compliments I've received in my entire life that were good for me. I can only think of a, That's why I don't compliment anybody. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I throw that and in I mean, and, and I mean, and I just, and I mean, I mean, and you go, well, compliment is an encouragement thing. And I mean, and there are times where people absolutely do need to be encouraged. There are points where people, I have a son who, who needed to recognize exactly. that Suck he was up. making progress, <laughs> that he was moving in a good, and there's times where you go, I've seen good progress here. But you also don't just sit down and go, I just, I mean, I just, you should be, I tell my children, if you have someone who all they do is praise you, they don't care about you. You need to be really careful. If all they do is praise you, they, because they know what the world is like, why would they do that to you? They, if they understand the world at all, they haven't thought about, I'm not saying they hate you, but man, they haven't thought about what they're doing to you. They haven't taken the care with you that you need, and people just need to understand that. They need to be more suspicious about people who praise them all the time. That is not that is not good for people. The worst is when they were praising you, and then they flip. And everything that was a praise, now they're just saying the opposite. Like you told me last week the exact <laughs> opposite of this. And then you get hungry for their praise again, right? <laughs> and, and wolves use that as a technique to manipulate, right? I mean, it's very... And and we should just recognize. And what a shepherd's supposed to do is to try to strengthen the sheep. Right. And strengthening the sheep, like you said, usually doesn't come from compliments. I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't go, I've seen you've been working at this, and I'm seeing fruit from that. That it sounds like you're applying the word of God, and don't you see the fruit? So So keep on. But the point of it is not to compliment. The point is to encourage. Which is very different, right? Because putting that's courage actually putting someone courage is very into someone. different, right? And so, there, what I just said isn't a compliment as much as an encouragement, right? Yeah, I see that that you've been working on this and that you've made progress in your family. You need to keep at it, right? right. That that you need to keep at it, kind of change it from flattery to an encouragement. And frequently, if you were talking to someone specifically, it would come even with specific recommendations. You know what I mean? A lot yeah. of times, you would go, "Hey, you're doing. Yeah, you know, I see you doing this." Now, but think, have you thought about this think about right. Think about this. You've kind of been doing, you know, because in the end, the point is is to push them to work, not to just give them a pat on the back. And the pat on the back is what we we crave because we want to we want our work to be for us. We want the glory to be for us. And one of the most dangerous things that I've seen happen that really allows wolves to flourish is that that the standard for them goes down the more that they do. The more people they have follow them, the more prominent they are, the more, you know, even the more people listen to what they're saying, that that it's very common then for the standard that they're held to to decrease rather than to increase. You know, I've watched this with a whole bunch of people, right, that, and it's it's incredibly dangerous because it's the opposite of what the scriptures teach. You know, in the parable about the servant who's waiting for his master to come and that he's given responsibilities and that he's, you know, either waiting for his master or he's using it to eat and drink and to beat the servants and everything. But then Jesus Christ said in Luke twelve forty seven and 48, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes will be beaten with few. 
For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Christ is using this parable to go, look, the master who entrusted his whole household to you, he's going to hold you to a much higher standard than if he said, you just need to make sure the kitchen's swept every day, right? I mean, there's a big difference in what they'll be judged by. And so the person who God has entrusted his, his church to, especially if you have a ministry that's outside to multiple churches, you should, he's entrusted a lot to you, a lot more than he's entrusted to the person who's, you know, who's the youth leader of, of a group of 10 youth that are in the church or whatever. And because of that, the standard God will hold you to is higher. So the church has to be a blessing and hold the pastor to a higher standard. Whether you look at Bill Gothard or you look at Doug Phillips or you look at a whole bunch of other men, you look at Mark Driscoll, you look at all these men, you look at, you look at Billy Graham. You know, we did an episode on Billy Graham where he, where some of the stuff he was saying at the beginning was sound, but when he went astray, nobody went, you've apostatized. You have a greater responsibility to understand now than you did before. Instead, they go, but he's been such a blessing. Look at all the people that have come to Christ through him. And you look at all these and they all have the same pattern that when errors start to be seen, instead of going, you've been given so much, the standard's higher for you. Where I would say that the new believer that just came in and they're confused about, you know, could somebody else somehow be saved to Jesus Christ without like actually believing in Jesus Christ, like Billy Graham thought, a new believer, you'd go, not that much has been given to you. I should explain this to you, but I don't go, clearly you're a heretic. But for Billy Graham, the answer is clearly you're a heretic because to whom much has been given, much is expected. And so as people... As people grow in their ministry, we need to hold people to a higher standard, not a lower standard. You started this off by talking about how that's what happens is uh, in the real world, we end up holding those people to a lower standard. Why is that? Why do we hold the prominent ones to a lower standard? The, or if the more someone advances, the lower the standards drop. I can probably list a few reasons for that. The first reason that I would list is that we don't believe that there's wolves. And so because we don't believe that there's wolves, we go, look at all the work that he's done. And so therefore, he must be good because we also believe in works-based righteousness. As much as we say we don't, in practice, I think most people have an element that they look at it and they say, look at all the things that he did. He must be a righteous man. And so we hold to a lower standard rather than going, maybe he's just a really skilled wolf. Satan disguised himself as an angel of light, and he goes a long way before he can be seen to be Satan, and he looks very holy and righteous and does all kinds of things when he's really just preparing a people to be eaten. And then you also have just the idea that of intimidation. The higher level somebody gets, the more afraid people are to confront them because they don't go, I'm a priest, you're a priest. They go, look, this is the man of God, and I'm just, I'm just a member of the congregation. And so we create this secular, sacred distinction. And I think you see that with missionaries, you see that with pastors. And the longer the pastor's been there, the more likely people are to go, but he's been doing this for so many years, I can't confront him. And so there's, and then there's also, they build a group of people around them that are there, that are the ones that are flattering them now. And so all of a sudden you're going, well, if I confront him, all these other people are going to come after me too, and I don't want to – and so, right, there's all these natural 
boundaries that get built up, just like they get built up in politics. It's the same exact thing that happens in politics. And that's not how the church should be. I mean, I think one of the things you mentioned there, I mean, so obviously, you know, the, the view of not believing there are wolves and then kind of workspace righteousness, we can see the doctrines and things that need to be dealt with there. But the one that you mentioned in particular was kind of the the pastor being the sacred and the and the other person not being is the priesthood of believers is a really big part of changing the view of the relationship between, you know, I mean, both that you have an obligation that the church should be full of priests who are doing the work of God, and the pastor is just another priest who has been designated an authority to organize the work of God. Or has, in real ways, given more, right? right? Given more, but they're all servants. Right. And we don't answer to the pastor, we answer to God. Right. And the problem is, is that the wolf is trying to get you to answer to the pastor, and that's people's, because the pastor can be seen, that's people's temptation to say, I need to answer to the pastor, which gets it to be harder and harder to confront the pastor. Instead of going, I have the Holy Spirit in me. He has the Holy Spirit in him. We're brothers. We are equals, we're, we're right? This is, people want to look at Galatians 3 and go, oh, yeah, there's no male, there's no female. That means female should preach. But the point there is we all have the same value before God because we all have the same Holy Spirit within us. So you don't go, well, look at this Gentile. How dare he tell me, a Jew, how anything about you know who God is, right? And that's the that's what Galatians three is talking about there. But instead, we twist it and we make it about that they're you know economically equal when they're really just it's saying that I'm as much of a Christian as you are. I have every right to speak to that pastor who's talked to a thousand people. Who cares if you're wrong? You're wrong. And that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, is what gives you the the right to speak. Because if you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, you have the right and the responsibility to speak. I mean, when we've we've the reason I'm mentioning that specifically is, you know, we've talked about this in some other episodes where, you know, the fellowship within the church is that the Holy the Spirit of God buys us into the work of the church and that we're co laborers, that we both have the same interest in Jesus Christ, that we both have the same interest in his work as one another. And there's this part of it where, I mean, kind of one of the themes throughout this has been how prevalent are wolves. But if you looked, if you asked, how many churches have you been to that don't have that distinction in them? How many churches have you been to where the view in the church is that the person in the pew has the same the same level as the pastor in a real way? How prevalent are wolves? I think one of the things that you you mentioned there is worth teasing out where you talked about working in the church. And right there mm-hmm. you can see a huge distinction for the way that we that a lot of people think about how churches function. It's it's the pastor and the leadership team that do the work of the church and the rest of us attend church. And so there's distinction between those who work and those who watch. And so, so we're sitting back and we're watching those people up there who are doing the things of God, and, and they're there to feed us. And really, if that's what's happening, you are ripe for harvest. You are the sort of person that a wolf could take advantage of if you think that that's what church is, as opposed to the idea of I go to church because God wants me to contribute something. I have work to do here. I have labor to do here. And, and when I have labor to do here, I look around and see who else has labor to do here. 
And when you start with that, then you can say, okay, I have a certain labor. The pastor has a certain labor. They're not the same labor, but we're both working towards one end. And and if I see him doing something that is taking him away from working towards that end, then, well, that's worth pointing out. I need to say something. He's getting in the way of the mission. He's not the mission. Right. And, and it's that picture from 1 Corinthians 12, they're all one body. I mean, what hand thinks it doesn't have the right to slap the head, so to speak, right? I mean, you don't, the hand doesn't go, oh, I'm just completely separate from the body. But yet that's kind of what we've created. We've created this, this Frankenstein monster type thing where we act like the church is these two different bodies as opposed to going, hey, the minister, the pastor, he has a responsibility to edify the church for the, so that the, the members of the church do the work of the ministry. His ministry is, is largely internal. The members of the congregation, the rest of the the rest of the people other than the pastor, theirs is mostly external, but they all have work to do. It's just where they're doing their work. And so when the pastor is going, I do all the work, and they, they're not really doing anything, well, you've already lost the idea of what the purpose of the church is, and you're not edifying the, the, the church for the work of the ministry. And so all of a sudden, when you think of it that way, is you have this ministry, I have this ministry. As an elder, I have a ministry inside the church, but that why is that ministry greater than the ministry of the person who goes out Friday nights and evangelizes on the street? It's not. It's just a different ministry. And so when we talk about holding it to a higher standard, I mean, one of the things that I've seen happen is when you're not holding them to a higher standard, you start to lower the standard as well. It's not just that you don't hold them to a higher standard. And, and Charles kind of alluded to this before where you're, he's telling one person one thing and the other person the other thing. And then he kind of goes, oh, yeah, I forgot or I didn't really say that. Or, and we just need to recognize wolves lie. And if we recognize right, a false teacher by their very nature is a liar because they're lying about doctrines of God. And those are really serious things that they're lying about. And so if they're willing to lie about the most serious things in, in all of creation, then why wouldn't they lie to you about anything? Right. And so what we need to do is we need to hold lying up as a much more serious offense than churches typically hold lying up as. They would go, oh, he, you know, he slept with a member of the congregation. He committed adultery with her. We need to put him out. But, oh, he got caught lying. What's the big deal? And I even had a fairly prominent pastor tell me that. It's only lying. Why are you worried about it? And it's like, no, no, no. Actually, lying lying lips are an abomination before God is what the Bible says. And so what we do is we have a tendency to look towards these sins in thinking, well, it's not that big of a deal when actually what we're doing is facilitating them being a wolf and right. them being a false teacher. Because I think we, one of the things we need to understand is just because someone is unsaved doesn't mean they're a wolf. And there are people who start off, like, I mean, we've the episode we did on Ravi Zacharias, we talked about the fact of I could very easily see Ravi Zacharias being a person who started off where they came across the gospel, and the gospel, the words of God, helped them. Yes. They were a benefit to them, and they, and even out of a sincerity, I mean, a real desire, they were useful and they wanted to help other people. And they were, and not like Ravi Zacharias had no sin in this, but that that Ravi Zacharias was tempted in a greater way than he could have been by the church, by people not holding him to a standard that he should have been. And so he was lured into sins that he was held up in certain places. He was he was praised, he was flattered, and he became a wolf in a sense 
because he was pulled in that direction. And again, not without sin on his part, not without the fact that he wanted it. But we just need to understand there are people who are tempted to be wolves because the church wants people who tickle their ears. So they lure people to tickle their ears. They lure people to lie to them so that they can hear what they want to hear. And I mean, we just shouldn't, we shouldn't be deceived in that sense. And you think about all of those other sins that you that you would think, oh, this really, this one disqualifies them. Almost, I, 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 I just can't think of circumstances where those sins get big enough, they come to light, they come to the church, and you have to deal with them now, where lying wasn't the precursor. Right. Where, where you don't start with, let's have some little deceptions, and then all of a sudden I'm sleeping with the pianist. Right. Right. Or you extorted money from the church. Well, you lied about a lot of things before you got there. All the sins that that get manifest in those practical ways, they all start with lying. And we should we should hold people very accountable for lying and and recognize that, you know, the Bible says, My children do not lie is what God speaks in the Bible in Isaiah. And and this is a serious offense, lying is. And we just kinda and it kind of goes back to what you were saying before, Jonathan, is one of the reasons that people don't want to go, oh, that guy might be a wolf, is that we also, you know, for the same reason we go, well, we don't want to hold lying as that high of a standard, because then all of a sudden we need to be really careful about our own words. Instead of going, we should hold lying at that high of a standard, because we need to be really careful about our own words. Because lying lips are an abomination, just like homosexuality is abomination. Lying lips is in the same, as I believe, is in one of the lists that it's the same with homosexuality, and yet we want to minimize it and go on, instead of going, no, lying is actually really serious. And my guess is, is you will not find many cases where someone ends up getting caught sleeping with a pianist where people couldn't go back and find instances where they did catch people in lies earlier. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not saying there's never a situation, but I would just be really, really shocked if that was not the case, if that their line had not been made manifest earlier and people said, that's not that big of a deal. And and I do think that it's really important to note that when you were saying that, it struck me because, I mean, I know with Doug Phillips, I know with Mark Driscoll, that there's people who caught them in things and they go, but the ministry is so important. It's not that big of a deal. Let's just, can we, can't we just let this go? Should we really destroy all this ministry, all this good things, all these churches that have been planted, all these homeschool families that have been helped? Should we really hurt all those things by actually dealing with lying? Because it was just a lie. It's not that big of a deal. It didn't really affect anything. That's a very persuasive argument when you have somebody powerful talking to somebody who's not very powerful. But people need to trust more in the Holy Spirit and the power of God because they need to go, no, God actually says lying's important. And if your ministry disappears, who cares? The Holy Spirit can raise somebody else in your place. It's not, I mean, it's it's not like it's you. It's what God does. And so... We need to make sure because it's such a common excuse when people get caught of just going, yeah, I was really rude to you when I was, I mean, Mark Driscoll was yelling at people and it's like, yeah, I just lost my temper. We shouldn't worry about it. Well, the Bible says things about an angry man and you're supposed to be held to a higher standard. And so it's not just lying. It's other things too, but, but it's just such a common technique that wolves use where they go, but this ministry is so important. Don't just let this one little mistake that I make destroy this whole ministry. We saw that a lot with just the interactions that we had with uh, Voice of the Martyrs. Right. And how much lying was part of the equation in, in exactly that kind of way. Well, the ministry is so important, this thing can slide. Right. 
And I thought you meant also the line. <laughs> I mean, we didn't know about this at all. Oh, we did. You know, they did know about. We've this. only been. It's only been reported twice, and we already sent people over to investigate. And they go, "We didn't know anything about this. What a shock!" And recognize the boldness that people just put that out online because, again, it's the same thing. How many people listen to the things that we found out about Voice of the Martyrs? If they. If they have 10,000 donors and 500 here, yeah, they're sorry to lose that money, but they're happy to continue to take the money from 9,500 donors. You know what I mean? And so, yep. so recognize it's that, it's that scheme where you go, if I lose some, what's the big deal? I still have the rest. It's only when you have shame that you go, this is embarrassing that I've lost those people. But wolves, don't expect wolves to have much shame. That's not that's not the characteristic of a wolf to have a lot of shame. What they'll frequently do is they'll do things that are completely shameless and go. I mean, I know of one that, you know, after the church split, we went, he openly went and lied to the people that were that were gathered for prayer. He said things that everybody in there knew that was false so that the people would leave that were offended that he was a liar. And right. I mean, <laughs> you, know, right. you just look at this technique and he's going, these people will cause me problems. These people I can feed off of. I should create a division. Early on, one of the things that we said was a, a key identifier of a wolf was somebody who's one way in public and another in private. And so if you want to say, well, what's a protection against a wolf? Well, you have to reject hypocrisy. You just have to say that there, this, this doesn't have a place. So Matthew twenty three twenty seven to 30. This is Jesus speaking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets." And even that that picture of where they start off speaking truth and then they wander into error. I mean, it's the same thing that the Pharisees did. And, and that's what, you know, this is one of seven woes to the hypocrites. It's in Matthew 23. And and it's just this picture that, that you know, they're going and exalting the, the doctrines of old. We follow the Puritans. But then they walk away and they don't act like the Puritans. And in the end, they're more like the ones that killed the Puritans and the ones – and they're decorating the books that they wrote and they're decorating the things that they did. And yet they don't actually do the things and they don't further the things and they don't hold themselves to that account. I mean and fundamentally hypocrisy is because they do not have the Holy Spirit. Right. I mean and this is – I mean one of the things that – the claiming to have the Holy Spirit of God, that what, what's a, what God requires of his church is something that puts a strain on someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Trying to, you know what I mean? If you're trying to live to the standard of someone who has the Holy Spirit indwelling them, is a strain on the unbeliever. Well, and, it's slave to sin. It's right? beyond a strain, right? Right. I mean, and so they can, and they can, that you look at the parable of the sower, they can, there are people who for a period of time, they can look like, a vine that's growing, but eventually, I mean, they they will follow. They'll either, you know, I mean, there there are different scenarios that will cause what looks like real faith to fail, and this is where do you reject hypocrisy? Because when that is made manifest, do you either go, we must, we'll lower the standard for everyone, we'll lower the standard just for that person, 
But in the end, that's what's required. And that's, that's really what we're talking about here when you say reject hypocrisy is, do you actually say that you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Does the church actually have that testimony that they really do believe that? that and, and some of that is just that you, you, the minimum level of that is that you expect them to repent when confronted. That is just the absolute minimum. Yeah, the fact that, that a pastor says one thing in public and then another in private by itself doesn't mean they're a wolf. It's if that becomes but it means it's sin. <laughs> it's sin. It's absolutely right. sin. But if it becomes the pattern, then okay, then you're starting to look like wolf. And and then if it's uh, when confronted in that, they deflect instead of repenting. That's when things are really bad. And refusing to confront them is tempting them to become a wolf. Yeah. So this is this is Peter uh, and Paul in the book of Acts, where uh, Peter's doing saying one thing and doing another with the Jews. And, but then, then Paul rebukes him, and he's he's not a wolf. The people who leverage their position to allow them to be hypocrites—that's what's really dangerous. And that's you know that I can think of many cases where that's happened with wolves, where they leverage their position and go, "But look, you know, like I was saying before, if if you expose this, look at how much damage it will be." That's basically instead of saying, "I need to repent of my hypocrisy," and the Bible says, right, if it's if it's true and they're an elder, they, they're to be rebuked in the presence of all. It's not just that they go, oh, look at my hypocrisy. They go, everybody's supposed to know about my hypocrisy as opposed to, you know, just going, you know, I'll just repent of it, right? It's for somebody that's in that leadership position. They have a higher standard that they're supposed to be held to than that. Too much is given, much is expected. And if and, and you're talking about the case where the where the wolf is the one leveraging it, but but it's even sadder when it's the congregation who is doing that. Right. Where the congregation is saying, oh, well, if if this comes to light, then that will be damaging, and therefore we need to cover it up. That's how you get giant scandals in the church. And that's also how that's also a sign that the whole church is already following that man rather than following God, right? right. I mean, that's a sign that, that this is no longer a church, or there might be still people there, so it might technically be a church where there's still people there. But but where the whole church is moving in the direction of going, yeah, we're not following God, we're following this man. So we can't tear down that man because that would just do so much damage to God instead of going, no, tear down the man, that brings glory and honor to God. His name's on the ministry. I mean, and, and let's be, I mean, be really clear. I think the thing with Peter is a good example. We talked about it a little bit in the episode we did on church discipline, and my guess is it'll come up. I think we're going to do other episodes on church discipline in the future. But when Paul rebuked Peter, Peter's sin was at such state that he wasn't deposed. He wasn't removed from his position as an apostle. He wasn't—Peter's sin was in such a state that because he rebuked him then— It was still a public Peter, rebuke. Yeah. He rebuked him publicly— Peter didn't go, how dare you? But Peter bore the shame, repented. And, and wrote a book saying how great Paul's writings were. <laughs> right. I mean, and you look at I mean, Confusing, and, and, but great. And so instead, what we do is we go, if I, if I confront him, it's just going to, it's, there's no, you know, it's just going to, it's just going to bring shame. But the truth is that by not confronting him, what you're doing is you're just pushing his sin further down the road. And it's going to be in a state that when it is made manifest, bigger. there will be no hope. The only hope is that you confront them in their sin. That's the only hope there is, is that you obey God's commands. And so, I mean, it's it's a denial of hope. If you want to actually do something with wolves, deal with sin, because he may not be a wolf. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there's all those proverbs like rebuke a wise man and he becomes wiser still. Right. It's like you could actually be helping him out by this. Don't be afraid of it. And light's better than darkness. I mean, like covering it up is never what's good. Bring things to light. Light helps. It doesn't It doesn't hurt. Light but helps. But I think people go, if my pastor was found in sin, that would be the most horrible thing. Fundamentally, that's that's really scary when I hear that because that means the church is basically following the man. Instead of going... Man's in sin. He should be exposed. That's what God says. And they believe and in works-based righteousness. Right. And God will take care of the church. It's his church. It's not this man's church. God will protect his church. And maybe what I'll find out is I wasn't attending a church, so I need to go find a church. Oh, well, that's fine. And it's it's, But it takes faith to do that. And it takes faith that that because they're twisting Scripture, false teachers are trying to confuse you about that faith and make it so that you don't walk by that faith. And I do think it's important as we talk about this just to recognize what the what the the end is of wolves. Because, you know, Jesus Christ before he starts the woes about the, the hypocrites, he says in Matthew twenty three, eleven through thirteen, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And, I mean, he's tying it directly to this idea that the person who's exalting himself to get people to follow after him, like the Pharisees were, they were the hypocrites. They were the ones that would make their disciples twice the sons of hell that they were. I started by talking about, you know, mentioning the shiny, happy people docuseries. And... And when you read some of the comments about that, I mean, there's some people that were really hurt, but they've also now taken the gospel and really twisted it to make it a false gospel that's worse than the false gospel that Bill Gothard had, that has more errors in it, that rejects who God is. And and that's what false teachers produce. So take it seriously. Don't just take it and go, oh, yeah, this this doesn't really matter. No, false teachers make disciples that are twice the sons of hell that they are. And maybe you're a believer, but your children that you're exposing to the teaching, if you just go, oh, there can't be false teachers, don't be surprised when your children end up being twice the sons of hell that 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 pastor was. I mean, one other thing that this verse says is it says, he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is, you know, And there's this part of it where we talk about how the, the false teacher exalts himself. One of the ways to protect yourself from false from wolves and from false teachers is to humble yourself. Because one of the things that a false teacher will make you do is he'll make you feel like what you're part of is something that's special and unique. He'll make you, I mean, there's, I mean, I, I remember, and I've talked to a number, I've talked to friends, I've talked to different people. There was a part of it where, I mean, the, you know, whenever I was, when we went through the last, when we went through a church split, I remember the day I realized that I had to confront one of my elders was when I was willing to, I was so scared if I did it, the church would fall apart. I was so scared that the church would die. I was so scared. And, and there was a part of it where my my pride was connected to the church. Right. You know, and there are people who you you left your, you know, you left your father's church. You left your family. You know, you, you, you left for sometimes even for good reasons. And you came to this other place. And you're afraid if this fails, it'll reflect badly on me. It'll reflect badly on the gospel. Other people will see that I left this, and now they'll say, because because this failed, it'll shame the name of God. And none of those things are true. 
I mean, I remember I walked up and I said, there was a part of it where it's like, I've been treating this like it was the baby that couldn't die. And I think there's a part of it where the baby's dead and I have, to, I have to be willing to see the baby die. I have to be willing to see the thing that I love die or else I don't really love God. And I mean, and, and there's this part of it where if you're not willing to humble yourself, you're not, I mean, because in the end, the, the false teacher who exalts himself, he teaches you to exalt yourself as well. Right. And you have to die to your pride because he ties his pride and your pride together. And if you can't cut that, if you can't separate that, you'll follow him to hell. Right. It might be that you're joining in his work. It might be through flattery. There's multiple ways that he can tie his position to your pride. But false teachers do that because that's why, because they're, they're leveraging your pride to get you to follow after them. In various ways, yep. but they're always leveraging your pride to get you to follow after them. We've talked a lot about how how bad false teachers are. But another thing to make sure that we understand is what a huge blessing false teachers are, because they are a huge blessing. Because what false teachers do is get people who are not going to follow God to separate and follow the false prophet. The reason that they follow the false prophet, and I'm not saying that you know, there's a point where even the elect cannot be misled, right? I mean, there's a point where you reach the point where if it's enough of a falseness that everybody who's saved will see it. But the reality is God sends false prophets so that those who do not love him, those who do not know him, those who do not have the Holy Spirit, that they follow the false prophets. False prophets are a means that God uses to purify his church. And we should recognize that even though the men mean it for evil, the false prophets clearly mean it for evil. Trying to consume the flock is clearly for evil. Never forget God means it for good. He sends false prophets because it helps the church. And mechanically, you can see how this would work in a couple of ways. One of them is, hey, they just they draw the unbelievers after them. And the, the what's left is the pure church. It's been purified by going through something like that. Or another way is to recognize that that if your standard for what a good church is is based upon the status of that pastor, well, when that pastor gets exposed as a false prophet and you're having to deal with, actually, I didn't believe God, I didn't believe the Bible, I believed in idolatry, then there's hope for you right. in that circumstance. If, if you can get to that point, then, hey, salvation's not far away. I mean, we'll link the episode below, but I mean, we did a previous episode. If this is something that you're either asking, I don't follow this, or you want to know more about it, it's called Scandals Are Good for the Church. And fundamentally, the point is, is a scandal is that thing you trip over. A scandal is the stumbling block. I mean, and, and the false teacher can be the thing that causes you to stumble, causes you to question everything, causes you to go, what am I even doing? I mean, you can see that, I mean, with the shiny, happy people we are talking about, there are people who they stumbled over Bill Gothard, and they haven't come to the gospel. They haven't come to a—that he's caused them to do this, and God uses this to actually, like you said, purify the church, strengthen it. And, I mean, it is, like you said, a blessing that God sends. And so if your eyes are on Christ, you'll see it as a blessing. If your eyes are on man, you'll stumble and you'll fall. Some of those people think that Bill Gothardism is the gospel— and it's been exposed, and now the real gospel is very far from them. Others, when that was exposed, realized, I was following a man. I wasn't following God. I should follow God. And specifically what happens is there's people that are following Bill Gothard, and their responses is to follow other men, including possibly themselves, right? Bill Gothard said the husband's the head of the 
the wife. Well, actually, that's First Corinthians 11 that says that. That's not Bill Gothard. But Bill Gothard then had some applications of that that were not biblical. But there's a lot of people who throw out truth with falsehood. But in the end, they're just chasing after another man, whether it's themselves or other men, as opposed to saying, what does God actually say? And that's what we need to get back to. What does God actually say? So as we think about false teachers, it's so important to recognize they are all around us. We should expect them to be around us. The wide is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to life. So each one of us has a responsibility to be discerning. Each one of us has a responsibility to hold men accountable. Each one of us has a responsibility to not join in the hidden works of darkness, but rather expose them. Because this is how God purifies his church, and this is how God actually brings glory and honor to his name, even by sending false teachers. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching.